With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. It is July 21st, and Atlanta United has defeated D.C. United 2 to nothing on goals from Pitti Martinez in the 89th minute with assists from Darlington Agby and Julian Gressel and a goal in the second minute, second minute of stoppage time by Joseph Martinez giving him goals in seven consecutive league matches. Uh, Pitti Martinez got the assist on that. Uh, it was a big result for Atlanta United, which moves into second place in the East, three points behind first place Philadelphia, though Atlanta United has a game in hand, and sets up ridiculously silly levels of promotion and content for Atlanta United at LAFC at Bank of California Stadium next Friday. The grunting you just heard was Jason Longshore. It was a laugh. My usual partner here on Southern Fried Soccer Podcast, which I hope you'll subscribe to on iTunes. You can always find Jason at Longshoe on Twitter, at SoccerDownHere.net, and 92.9 FM. Well, Jason, this game went 88 minutes with a few chances for both teams. Uh, Atlanta United dominating possession. Not creating a whole lot of opportunities out of it, but that was, I think, mostly due to D.C. United playing a pretty disciplined defense. Yeah, D.C. played really well. and I mean, D.C. played Thursday night in Cincinnati. They left Wayne Rooney out, and, you know, I, I saw some responses as that news started to filter out. Look, this is the first time, I think, since he arrived that he has not played for D.C. Um the guy puts in a lot of work and to go back to back on short rest with the amount of miles he's put in over his career, he gets a day off. Oh yeah. And by the way, you bring in Luciano Acosta who was on the best 11 with him last season. It's different up top with Acosta. And I thought in some ways it made DC even more dangerous for a match like today where you were going to concede a lot of the possession. You were going to sit back and look to play on the counter. And for moments, Really, more than any, for about a 10-minute stretch in the first half, uh, maybe minutes 30 to 40 or so, D.C. looked really dangerous. They had another couple of moments here and there in the second half. It felt like Atlanta wore them down eventually, and it took until very late for Atlanta to find the breakthrough. But they did, and Pitti Martinez came off the bench and led the way. Yeah, the uh, on the goal, uh, Julian Gressel had the ball... I don't know, about 10 yards from midfield or so. 
and split two DC players who are actually fairly close together uh, to find Darlington Nagby. Nagby, as he is so smart with his movements, just let the ball roll past him and then ran onto it and kind of chipped his cross over uh, Bill Hamid, over a DC United defender, and Pitti Martinez kind of hit it in with the side of his head, literally from about inches away. You're just asking somebody to crash at that yeah. point. It's it's not about style points there. It is just, I'm going to put this up there and somebody go get a touch and put it in the back of the net. Pitti ended up in the back of the net with the ball, with the defender, and it didn't matter. It's on the board. and you, You've got three points looking pretty good at that point. Yeah, Frank had said he had told Pitti uh, to get into the box. That was his instructions. Pitti said Frank told him, to kind of move around the top of the box and try to uh, combo with Joseph Martinez. So, you know, whatever it was, it worked. Uh, The second goal kind of showed the vision that uh, made Pitti the South American Player of the Year last year. Uh, Pitti got the ball about 10 yards in Atlanta United's half of the field and just kind of, again, chipped the pass into space over D.C. United's defense, which is playing up as the, the, uh, the red and black were trying to get their equalizer and Joseph simply had to run onto it. Uh, he caught up to it about, I don't know, 35, 40 yards from space, came in, Bill Hamid came out of the goal, made his move, and Joseph just kind of hit a, I don't know, another low kind of chip shot over Hamid uh, for his 16th goal of the season. He now trails uh, Carlos Vela by five, mm-hmm. I think. Correct. Uh, in the race for the athletic footwear given to the player who finishes with the most goals at the end of the regular season, um, otherwise known as the golden boot. What a ball from Pitti. Yeah, it was, that was a really what nice pass a, from What Pitti. a ball from Pitti. Uh, Pitti, to me, so far this season, for whatever reason, seems to be so much more effective coming off the bench in the last 20 minutes than he does as a starter. I don't know why that is, but that just seems to be how it is. Pitti played in that role at times at River Plate. I mean, when you go back and you look at River Plate's season last year, you had two players who, who kind of played in similar spots in, in Juan Fernando Quintero and, and Pitti Martinez, and it was tough for Marcelo Gallardo to, to find a way to play them together. And, and at times he played one or the other. And had the other come off the bench. And Pitti came off the bench a fair number of times at River Plate and had this type of effect when he did. And in a game like this one, I mean, it's tailor-made for it because you're playing a team that's on shorter rest and a team that has played two games on turf and they're not really used to that. And you could see the legs were starting to get heavy at that point when Pitti came into the match. So perfect opportunity for him. I thought the subs were, were handled correctly and Atlanta got the most out of their options off the bench today. That is true. The, uh, a stat that kind of jumps out to me uh, is the possession. Atlanta United had 71% of the ball or, or the passes, however they Opta uses to, to figure out the stat, compared to DC's 28.6, a margin that to me is pretty rare when both teams finish with 11 players. But it just shows how much DC United was trying to bunker and beat Atlanta United over the top with counters. Um, and they almost did it a couple of times in the first half. Uh, but Brad Guzan made a couple of big saves, including one with his trailing right foot on one play. I said last week, or I said, I'm sorry, Wednesday night, that I thought Guzan got a little bit lucky to get a shutout against Houston. Tonight I thought he earned the shutout with some really good saves. It was his 10th of the season, extending his uh, lead in Major League Soccer. 
Yeah, big save in the first half with the right foot. A big save in the second half, full full extension to his right. And it, those are the moments that are tough when you do only see a team with less than 30% of the ball and you're not very involved in making a bunch of saves. That's tough for some goalkeepers. And, and Brad Kazan, I think his experience is what helps him through those moments. He stays locked in and he delivers when the team needs it. But this D.C. team... Playing in this 3-4-3, I want to see if Ben Olsen sticks with it. It's been a relatively new development. It's been a way for him to get more out of his wing backs, Joseph Mora and, and Leonardo Hara. And you didn't see as much out of Hara, especially today. I thought he was you know, fairly ineffective. Mora was a little more dangerous on the left side. But also the emergence of Donovan Pines as a rookie coming in and being able to give you these, these kinds of minutes. I thought Pines really grew as the match went on. And, and that's a, a tough thing for a young player to do who has less than 10 starts as a professional. And I thought he handled the atmosphere and handled the challenges really well. This is a D.C. team that if they can play like this and defend and, and be a little bit better than they were today. But you have Wayne Rooney in the mix, and you, you have to figure out what you're going to do long-term with Luciano Acosta. Are you going to play with a 4-2-3-1 and get Acosta, um, Rodriguez, and Ariola together behind Rooney? Or are you going to sacrifice one of them to have a little more defensive stability? Or are you going to pick and choose? And I think that's what they're going to get to. When they go on the road, they're going to be a tough team to break down. But at Audi Field, they're going to be a team that can expand a little bit. They showed, even in the loss today, I think they showed more than we've seen from them lately about being a top contender. Yeah, the uh, I thought Acosta had a couple of brilliant passes today, but oh, then yeah. for the most part uh, was kind of just taken out of the game by Atlanta United's possession. Once he became the number nine, he was far less effective. When he was dropping into the midfield and getting Areola especially making mm-hmm. those runs, then he was really dangerous. When it was him 1v1 with Miles Robinson, Miles put him in his pocket. I mean, there was just yeah. nothing he could do. A couple more talking points. Uh, Frank said that he was extremely, extremely proud of the team uh, today because they, they maintained their concentration, they maintained their focus, they maintained their fight for the 90 minutes. Um, he was very complimentary of pity, said he was fantastic, uh, said he did exactly what he needed to see, uh, making him have to make hard choices about the starting lineup. He was very complimentary of Brandon Vasquez, said he thought he was fantastic for 60 minutes because of the number of duels that he was winning to keep balls alive, to keep Atlanta United in games. We don't get uh, individual duels won stats in our very remedial, basic, need-to-be-improved stats from Major League Soccer and Opta. <laughs> if Frank's going to talk about duels so much, you yeah, have to have it. That's not a knock on Atlanta United. That's a knock directly on the league, whose stats just really aren't very good. Um Overall, Atlanta United won 54 duels to D.C. United's 51. Um, I know some people were pretty harsh of Vasquez tonight. Didn't think he played very well. I thought he played fine for his role. I was a little more critical of Miram in the first half. I thought he stayed on the ball too much. and It was kind of bogging things down. But I thought Miram improved in the second half uh, and was moving the ball a little bit quicker. Then in the first half, um, Heinemann, I thought, had another solid game mm-hmm. as a starter moving the ball around, finding good pockets. Uh, Ian Nagby uh, really, to me, are forming a a nice little combo in the middle of the field going forward 
kind of the equivalent of Nagby and Rometty on the back end. Um, so that, that that's an interesting development. Uh, Barco, Frank said, could have probably given him 15 minutes tonight. He's hoping maybe he could see him a little bit uh, at LAFC next Friday. Uh, I think it's just going to depend upon the, the game and the momentum of the game. I think it more likely uh, you'll see Bark. I think I think it more likely you won't see Barco until after the – well, you'll probably see him in the All-Star game because he was voted in. Right. Uh, he has to play or he has to sit out the next game. But then that next game uh, – Yeah, he has to make himself available to at play. At Orlando. Yes. I've, I've forgotten the schedule. I think it's at Orlando. Uh, I think you're back here before the opening. Yeah, I think semi. you're right. Yeah, you're here with the Galaxy. Yeah, the Galaxy. Yeah, I think yeah. it's more likely you're going to see him against the Galaxy. Um, I have duels numbers, by the way. Oh, do you? Okay, yes. what was what was Brandon Vasquez's duels? Brandon Vasquez won 58% of his 12 duels. That's a good number. Yep. Leandro gonzalez Perez won 66.7% of his 12. How do you have the duels? Because I have things, Doug. Uh-oh. I, I have ways. Well, that is awesome. Yes. I, I've got to get ways. <laughs> um, another talking point from the game, Alan Chapman. Uh, oh, okay. It, it was... Major League. This is one of the issues with refereeing in Major League Soccer. You get a guy like Alan Chapman, who today was for the most part letting them play. Yeah. Even when there were two, I thought fairly clear penalties in Atlanta United's favor before the one was finally called for Joseph Martinez that he missed. What was the other one? I know uh, the one here. On, there was on one on Joseph down here, and there was one half. on Gressel in the second half in the penalty box. Okay. Uh, Gressel got taken down, I think, by Acosta. In the box. The Gressel um, one didn't register as much. The the first Joseph one, I thought Briant won the ball. It was really risky the way he approached it because he reached kind of across Joseph. I thought he, he got enough of it. They I know they checked that one. I, I saw the check happen. I didn't see it. I didn't see the ear. It did. It was oh, okay. really quick. It didn't even have to hold up play. Oh, okay. But it was it was really quick. Um he he set a high bar. I mean, he was consistent, and, and that's the number one thing that I want out of a referee in a 90-minute match. I want them to be consistent on the day. Now, what would be great is if Pro had more consistency across the board, and that's what gets difficult. And that's one reason about Chapman's performance today. I did not like the yellow card to Leandro Gonzalez-Perez when it came and the way that it came. Because it felt like the only reason you're given it is for persistent infringement. But the play before that, that DC was so upset about involving Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, when Ulysses Segura checked in, tried to run past LGP, and LGP put his arms out to, to shield him off, and Segura went down holding his face, there wasn't a foul called. Right after that, there is a foul called in a quick yellow. That fell out of place. And those are the types of yellows that now LGP is one yellow away from being suspended on yellow card accumulation. Those are the ones that are frustrating to me. Yeah, so LGP really needs to be on his best behavior both against LAFC and then the Galaxy because you don't want to go into a game if Slotan plays on the turf here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium without LGP to help Miles Robinson with Zlatan. Right. The head games, I just want to see the trash talk and head games between Zlatan and LGP because I feel like Zlatan kind of bossed the game against LAFC with all the talk leading up and, and in his performance, which was outstanding. And we've seen it at times where he just kind of talks himself into playing at this level. 
I don't think that's going to work against Leandro, and I'm really fascinated to see how that one would play out. So I hope he doesn't get a yellow against LAFC. Uh, yeah, and that's going to be, to me, a fascinating game. Oh, I, I haven't so many got, stories. I haven't got to watch a lot of LAFC, but I did watch the Classico on Friday. Um, it was not LAFC's one of their better performances this season. No. Uh, the Galaxy took them out of the game. They were more physical. LAFC didn't seem to like the physical part. No. Nope. Of the game and at Lenny United can knock teams around if they want to. Rometty has no problem. Gonzalez has no problem. Miles definitely has no problem knocking people around. Um, Franco has no <laughs> issue knocking people oh, around. No. Um, so that, that's going to be interesting. Um, the three-five-two, you know, uh, it wasn't as effective, I guess, against Houston, but also it was against eleven men, not ten men. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it's a formation that Atlanta United just feels more comfortable with. I know that they used the four three three or four two three one or whatever you want to call it most of the time the previous two years. But in the three five two, they seem to be able to maintain their shape a little bit better, their discipline a little bit better. They understand their roles a little bit better. I think. It, yeah, it's interesting. It's a it's a little more defined. I think it takes some of the freewheeling out of it, and I think it's why on a, on a day like today where you get twenty crosses, which which felt like a few too many, because that's where you're going to create those opportunities. And, and Julia Gressel and Justin Merrim are going to have those spaces out wide, but it's you're sacrificing a little bit because you are taking an attacking player out and you're adding another center back. And that's something, finding that balance will be very key. When you get the attacking performances that you got today out of Darlington, Nagby, and Emerson Hindman, you can make up for some of that. And and when you look at the average position map for this one, it looked like a 3-1-5-1 because it was your three center backs who did take turns going forward from time to time. I thought something Frank DeBoer said in the post-match about Franco Escobar pushing forward from a right center back role and Eric Rometty sliding over and covering for him. Those types of coverages are really important because then you create the unexpected player going forward. We see Leandro do it all the time. If Franco's a center back, we know he can get forward and we know the element he brings. It creates the other avenue. But when you when you play three five two, it, it takes some of that creativity out. And it makes you funnel the ball wide more often. And if you're getting success out wide, cool. Today was a day where I felt like against D.C. center backs, especially uh, Pine, 6'5". You're not winning. Yeah, he's a large man. I was behind him walking to the locker room on my way to Frank's interviews. He is a large, large dude. 6'5", 200 plus. He's like Vasquez. They're about the same size. He makes Vasquez look small. That's what's crazy about it. Um Good player, too, but him, Burnbaum, Briant, you're not winning many headers there. So it, it took some a while to figure out some other ways through, and it's funny that it, the goal ends up coming off a header. I, I think you'll see 3-5-2 the rest of the way at times. I think you'll see 4-3-3 at times. I, I think you could see other things at times. It's going to be more than anything about those rotations, and, and that's why I keep coming back to Franco stepping forward, Remetti dropping in for him. Whatever the formation is, it's going to be those moments where you do have to push numbers forward or you do have to drop more numbers back. And handling the rotation going from shape to shape, that's when this team will be at its best. We're seeing glimpses, and now it's in the point where you've got to be sharp with these moments because you're playing top teams at this point of the schedule. 
and it, the points are the same, but they feel like they mean a little bit more right yeah. now. So you've got to be on point with it. And I thought tonight especially, Atlanta was. When they had to push the game, they pushed the game, and they got a little more secure defensively as the night went on, which is a good sign. That is true. Um, again, Atlanta United now trails Philadelphia by three points uh, in the race for first in the East. They are ahead of D.C. by one point. I think the dark horse in this race is still NYCFC because Great. for whatever reason – it has played so fewer games. I think it's like got two in hand or three in hand on Atlanta United. Yeah. It's bizarre. I don't quite understand the scheduling. That's the here and there. Uh, the last kind of, I, I guess, my talking point, this isn't for Jason, is some of you on Twitter were kind of being a little bit funny about Pitty scoring the, the game winner and getting an assist on the second goal, saying I must be about to faint. Um, I have no personal issues with Pitty. The only things that I, I tweet and I write are the things that I see which is my job, and I don't think anyone is going to argue that Pitti's defense, which has been my hammering point, hasn't been consistent and hasn't been good. And if you'll notice, he's not taking the 30 to 35-yard shots that I kept complaining about or pointing out uh, earlier in the season. He stopped that, too, for now. Um, I don't know if that was at the coach's instruction or his own instruction or if it's just serendipitous. Uh, I'm not trying to take credit for it. I'm just pointing out that I think that was an issue earlier this season, and now it's stopped. Um, and having covered this team now for however long it's been, I feel I have a little bit of license to make comparisons with Pitti and Tito, for example, with efforts that I pointed out earlier this year. Um, but, and Frank has basically come around and said kind of the same thing, just about Pitti's effort in games. He needs to see more, which is part of why Pitti started on the bench the past two games. But now he's He's showing Frank what he needs to see. So we'll see what happens going forward. Um, what else do we have? I'll have a sidebar on Pitti. Or a sidebar is a shorter story, not the game story. I'll have a sidebar on Julian Gressel, assuming I can get our content management system to work. Uh, I'm going to have to drive home and try it there. I'll have the player ratings. Uh, I'll probably have... A little something on looking ahead already to LAFC. I'm going to have a blog, which is more of an opinion piece on the League's Cup, and I just don't see the point in it. Uh, I think Brad Guzan kind of would agree with me based upon his comments about it on Friday when we were talking to him. Uh, A hint into the story. How many times do you need to keep getting beaten by the same teams before you realize maybe this is not a good idea? Uh, And that's kind of keeps what happening when MLS tries to match itself up against Liga MX teams. They get the money from the TVs and the commercials, and the fans say they want to see these games. But for the results to change, the league needs to change its rules, change its spending, change its fiscal restraints, if the owners will agree within reason, to kind of level the playing field. CBA negotiation yep. is going to be really interesting. That's a part of the blog. the the best The best way I, I, that I can compare it in the blog is it's like in college football asking Georgia State to play Georgia Tech every year, and then being surprised when Georgia State wins like one out of twenty, with Georgia being the European clubs, <laughs> Georgia Tech being the Mexican clubs and Georgia State being the MLS clubs and this analogy based upon finances, rules of player acquisition, those kind of things. It's just 
it's not a fair fight right now. Um, so that I don't see the point in continuing to do it. Uh, you might get that one win, but it doesn't change anything. It's like the U.S. beating Spain one time and everyone thinking, oh, okay, everything's fine with the U.S. team, when in fact it wasn't, it's not, it hasn't been. <laughs> Things have to change. Yeah, that, that one's a little different. Um, I, you, I think you got to play the games to find the measuring stick, and I'm okay with League's Cup essentially being a Europa League for – Mexican teams and MLS teams instead of having an expanded CONCACAF Champions League. I'd be fine with that, but then you'd have mismatches with MLS teams playing Caribbean teams, for example, and, and you don't have competition there. So I'm okay with it coming in. It's got to be meaningful, and for it to be meaningful, you've got to have teams that can, can fight on an equal basis. Right now, most MLS teams are not able to do that. I think Atlanta was as well-positioned as anybody, and you saw how you know, thin the margin is when you're playing a team like Monterey, who as much as Atlanta spends versus MLS, Monterey spends that versus Liga MX. Like, Monterey's not your typical It's, it's two to one almost, yeah. Monterey to Atlanta. Yeah, and Atlanta's so. caught up to what a lot of traditional Mexican teams spend, but not Monterey, or not Tigres, and not Club America. It's... There's different levels, and I think for MLS to capitalize on all of the growth and all of the work that they've put in, and that's why I do understand why there's been restraint. I, I get it because I, I watched yeah, no, this I, league I from get day that too. one, yeah. and I, I get that it's you still have some owners, maybe with a little bit of PTSD, but it, it's time, and it's time to figure out the way to do it in a responsible way, right? but to do it, and roster sizes have to be bigger. Yeah. You have to be able to spend more money. You have to be able to bring bigger players in because I think bigger players want to come here now. I think that part's been shown. I think they're seeing the atmospheres. I think what MLS has seen now is that you have to to spend more and make it a bigger deal for people to respond. And it's just going to take loosening the grip a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. I'm not. Yeah, just. A I'm not bit. advocating that MLS clubs should have the same rules as Liga and MX. Another couple, like, um, essentially TAM-type players, another yeah. designated player, couple of, more uh, spots on the roster. More young DP roster spots, too. I'd be fine with that. Um, just a few just a few tweaks here and there, just to level it just a little bit. Yep. Um, Got to point out, uh, the Unified team uh, played D.C. United after the so game. So cool to watch that. Yeah, it was. And a, a good bit of supporters yeah. stuck around and gave them a really good environment. I think... DC won. They did four three. I was riding. Um, Good but game. It, it was. It's always cool to watch that. Just to see, you know, one uh, Atlanta United player scored whose last name starts with an M. I Michael Mastrangelo. Yes. It's awesome. Such a celebrated. Good guy. It was. It was yes. so cool. Scored twice. If you get a chance to watch these games, please stay behind and watch these games. It's it's uplifting. It's enriching. It's what sports to me should be more of. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, Jason, what do you have coming this week? We've got Overreaction Monday tomorrow. Soccer Down Here app, soccerdownhere.net, on Spreaker as well. Um, we've got soccer over there tomorrow night. Lots of transfer talk from uh, across the pond to talk about. We'll get into that tomorrow night at, at 5.30 as well. We've got stoppage time this week on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page at 2 o'clock on Wednesday. Then we've got Atlanta United, too, on Wednesday night as they host Charlotte up at 
the proving ground, Fifth Third Bank Stadium, Kennesaw State. It, the team's been going through some hard times lately. You've seen the scores. I watched a good bit of the match last night. I, I thought the second half when it was 2-0 was, was pretty good. I really liked what I saw out of Brandon Claggett, one of the academy players who's getting some time right now. I liked what I saw out of an academy signing in Alessandro Castro. Jackson Conway showed a lot late. Atlanta really fought to try to get back into that with Birmingham, but they were unable to do it and ran out of gas. And those are the moments that young teams deal with. And Atlanta United, too, has been dealing with it. But if you're looking for a game to come out and watch firsthand, come out Wednesday, watch this team play Charlotte. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see some of the young players. I want to see if any first-team players who aren't getting some of that time. I want to see if they get time here. And then we'll be heading out to L.A. on Thursday for the match on Friday night. There you go. Busy week. Yeah. Uh, I've already hinted to the things that I have upcoming uh, this week. I'll have something on season ticket renewals. I've got uh, – y'all gave me some good feedback on the pricing and your plans uh, for Atlanta United for the 2020 MLS season. So I'm hoping to write that this week as well. I don't fly to Los Angeles until Friday morning for that game at 10 o'clock next Friday night. Taylor Chalman will be on the call for that game. I was talking to him uh, a little bit uh, before tonight's game. So I hope you'll look forward to that. And as always, appreciate your coverage, appreciate your feedback. Um, I hope that you're enjoying it this season. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I enjoy covering soccer. I enjoy covering the team. I enjoy interacting with y'all, both the positive and negative. It's always fun, uh, depending upon your viewpoint. And that's it for the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Atlanta United, two to nothing winners over DC United. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, oh, oh.